Because if I'm not desperate, I think I can do it on my own. And I can't. And it's not till I hit that wall and can say, I don't know. I don't know what to do. That's when I really need God. But who likes to be there? You really do have to grab hold of that upside down thing of the gospel to say, actually, that's a good place to be. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Life Reframed. I'm Lauren Morgan. And I'm Rick Dunn. We have guests with us today. I always get sing-songy you when do, I get like real you're excited. excited. You're it's it's yeah. true. I'm used Weird. to that. You do. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. <laughs> listen, we have guests who listen to our podcast. We love that. And I'll just dive in real quick. Do so it. here Go we got, and, and then you can them. kind of bring them along. So first of all, uh, Stephen Hines, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, besides the wonderful fact that you're a, a regular listener on Life Reframe, which is wonderful, <laughs> more importantly, uh, we have also, and I'll just a moment, introduce my wife but you and your wife carol have been my wife Teresa and i's best friends for 36 years and uh, we've had so many conversations like about what we're about to have and it is literally uh, i'm kind of giddy too i don't do sing songy very well but i'm pretty giddy about this because i've so much wanted just for people to hear our conversation Stephen. so thanks for being with us that would be that's excellent and sometimes you do giddy and i'd kind of like to see that on the podcast that would be awesome yeah about 36 years you've seen giddy i don't know if we're going to do giddy today we'll probably see. not and then my beautiful wife Teresa, who is our often guest on life reframe one of our most popular uh persons to have on life reframe welcome Teresa. thank you for having me we're i was so i was thinking it might be important for your listeners to know that Stephen is a therapist in <laughs> Chicago, and one of my favorite things is Stephen was mo- one of my first supervisors out of grad school, and so forever indebted to yeah. the ways he invested in me uh, and kind of raised me up in the counseling profession. So, so true. It's been so a true. real gift and legacy, I think, for for me that I so so appreciate, and out of that budded a great friendship. Yeah, and, I, and Teresa and I still get a chance to work together from time to time doing intensives or weekends. So we still get a chance to do that. That's awesome. They're powerful partners. And I I would say just building that, not only you're the therapist you are because of that relationship and the investment, but we're the people we are because of Stephen and Carol being in our lives. So it's a wonderful opportunity, Lauren, for us to have a conversation. Well, I'm really excited to have two people in the room who know you so well. Oh, my. And are... (laughs) Are the stories that we could tell. <laughs> yeah. Lots of like, stories. Like the ones we were telling before we recorded. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, those were so good. And I can't wait to hear more stories. It's great. So we're really happy to have you guys on here. And I know, Rick, you are, you're really excited about this topic. It's yes. one you've been wanting to talk about for a while. And they're just the perfect people to talk about. Absolutely. Because we talk about these things, you know, Teresa and Stephen. These are things that we've talked about. And it's you know my journey so well. And I, you've caught a little bit of learning. You remember when we were talking about the the uh, enneagram, and I kept saying I wasn't a nine because I thought I said nine does that doesn't sound strong to me. Yeah, you thought you went through a whole thing of a couple numbers to try to avoid the nine. Yes, and then you were like, no, I can't be a nine. I can't yeah, be a nine because I projected onto that. So mm-hmm. that was actually an insight into my internal world. One of the challenges I've always had is trying to understand who I am expectations and narratives about masculinity and what strength means and as a result of the struggle with that i've had a tendency to and teresa and Stephen know this better than anybody in the world i've had a tendency to see myself quickly as oh that's weak or you're being weak and so 
One of the important parts of my journey, particularly in the last few years, that you all have been a part of for three decades, is reframing strength and as it relates to masculinity or femininity. And so that's kind of what we want to dive into and just share a conversation that we've had in lots of ways over the years. But even more recently, you know, Stephen, through my journey of growth, um, you've been such a part of me being able to talk to another man and say, this feels weak to me, and you'd be able to meet me in that place and speak into it. So I think that makes this super valuable. Plus, Teresa, your insights on masculinity and and femininity and strength. So let's just dive into it. Okay, let's do it. I'm going to start with this story. All right. So we were sitting at that whatever restaurant there in Highland Park or Highland Highwood or somewhere in the Chicago area, and I shared with you, we were having breakfast, and I said, I can remember it so vividly i said to you this is some things about me Stephen, that i don't like and that feel really weak to me and i'm honestly i feel shame i feel shame that i'm not stronger in this way or stronger in that way right and it's not all the stereotypical let's categorize the sin it's how i felt about myself my internal world and you said to me well well rick dunn because everybody close to me seems to call me rick dunn said rick <laughs> you said well rick dunn that's the part i love most about you because that's where you need Jesus. Okay, that statement, I'd love for you to unpack how that, what was going on in you in that and how that, how you think about that. Because I've spent about 25 years unpacking that one conversation in that restaurant. So that was 25 years ago. It's 25 years ago. And I've spent that time, Lauren, unpacking what Stephen said. That's the, that's why I talk about, I'm shaped by my relationship with Stephen. I'm really shaped by that relationship. Well, I think, um, that was a great conversation. It was. <laughs> I think it's one of the beginning of us getting a lot deeper in our relationship. Yep. yep. I think uh, no matter what your Enneagram number is, that doesn't determine how powerful you are or how much strength you have. And being a nine, a lot of people think nines are the best leaders. It's not eights who tend to be not the best leaders. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, careful. We got an eight in the room. Woo. Oh, we got Teresa two and I are, are you eight. an eight? Are you an eight? That is so, I, I love eights. Love eight. Well, it's funny that Rick, for his best friend, picks an eight and marries an eight. Yeah. yeah. And what does I, it say about me if the people closest to me in my life are all nines? Well, that might be another mm-hmm. podcast. Okay, we'll, we'll break that down another time. We'll talk about that. No, it's a great question. No, um, okay, so, sorry, go ahead. You were saying. Yeah, so I, I think... Uh, the thing that makes all of us the most strong is when we realize how much we need Jesus. And, but it doesn't feel like that, Stephen, for, particularly for me, much of my life. And um, I, I don't know, Teresa, you've experienced this. And I don't want to make this in about my journey. I'm inviting people in with whatever their journey is in this, right? But it can it cannot feel like that strong at all. You know, you can, I mean, you can throw, well, my grace is sufficient for your weakness. You can throw a Bible verse on it or oh, yeah, I really needed Jesus in this. But the idea that that's actually strength, whether it's a woman or a man, that that's actually strength, for me, is harder to embrace. But that's part of what I I think in the therapy office we often do for folks is reframe. Because anybody who's actually had the courage to talk about the areas they feel vulnerable and weakened um, knows how hard that that requires a tremendous amount of strength. And it's so ironic that oftentimes people will walk into my office and they feel very vulnerable. They feel very weak. And they're coming in to like, sometimes they want to reassure me that they have this competent 
capable self outside of the office. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The competent, capable part of you walked in my office because what it takes to walk in that door is incredible strength. And I, there are so many, many people who avoid asking for help, saying, I don't know, acknowledging those parts that are less than what the culture would hoorah and call competent and capable. And they walk in and bear their souls in that moment. And when any of us do that, it is, that is real strength. I, I get a lot of credit because I'm able to talk about a lot of things that other people, that is very uncomfortable for other people. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so I get, like, people will say, you're so brave or you're so, but actually that's not brave. It, it It's only brave when it's something that is a risk mm -hmm. or that is, I'm, when I step out into something that is hard for me, that is brave. But it's not brave for you to talk about other people, like talk with other people about their Right. Or, things, or there are saying. things that I'm really comfortable. Just part of it is I'm a very open. Right. So it's not uncomfortable for you to talk about sex and to. Talk, right. And that's probably a lot of what people are like. You're so brave to do that. Yes. You go out there and share your story. But it's like, is that. If that's not a scary part of my story to tell, it might be scary for you to tell that part of your story. And so people hear that and experience that both. I get credit for vulnerability. That's not really true. And bravery. That's not really true because it's not that part. It's only brave when it's what's hard for me. See, I like having you two in here because you both tap into like we're not going to talk about this. But this morning was I had a very emotional part of my day that. I said to you, Stephen, uh, for you and Carol, I was just so glad you were there for that because I don't guard that with you all. I just like, let it be what it is. Um, so I'm going to be very just open here. When you said that people like to come in the office and kind of make sure they know I'm in here for help, but I'm actually super competent out here. And they feel that's like the weak thing they got to cover or compensate for. Literally, Teresa, and you've been my wife for almost four decades. You've been my best friend over that. You, Stephen, you've been my best friend besides I get it. my chest tightened when you said that, because that's exactly how I've lived a lot of my life. It's like, I know I got this. I know I got this. But let me give you a resume or let me give you some ideas. Let me make sure, you know, by title or performance or something. Well, it's, it's not what we're taught. We're taught watching leaders, watching our parents, that strength and power comes from having your stuff together. Right. And, and we're not used to seeing certainly Christian leaders who break out in tears or who say, I don't have this together and I don't know. In fact, we're used to just the opposite. But the truth is that like your strength as a leader comes from your being vulnerable and willing to share your journey working on your stuff. Yeah, but it's like a civil war inside. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's Absolutely. A, it, and, and Tracy, you know, that's a civil war for it's me. It's probably never going to get easier. Evidently not. Well, that's, that's encouraging. Thanks so much for that. Well, no, because but, the reason is because yeah. we, we all fall back. Like, I am constantly negotiating with God. Like, I come to a hard time and I say, God, listen, I know your plan is the best, but this time I think I got it. <laughs> so let, let just me just figured out this one. Yeah, yeah. Let me just save you the work. Life. This is I, my I, expertise yeah. area. Yeah. I, I got this one. And, and, my strength comes from not that, but from going, I don't have this. And life continually reminds me of that. 
And I do, I agree so much with that because I think that's one of the things that is different about you, Rick. And I remember when I first started coming to fellowship well over a decade ago, and that that was different, you know, because you don't see that a lot. Like you said, you don't see it a lot where somebody is being like, I'm a mess or I can't do this well or whatever. And, and I need Jesus. And, and that is different, but it is so countercultural. And um, even knowing that and how much, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast so much, how much I love vulnerability and uh, that I <clears throat> love people who are vulnerable, love people who are just open and real and, you know, life can be hard and we don't do ourselves or others any favors when we just make it look like we have it all together. That's right. But I forget that still. So I'm like still trying to act like I got it all together. But we all forget it. That's that's human nature. And and that I think God made us that way so that we can keep coming back in that process to realizing how much we need him. Well, and vulnerability too, like, yes, because there's layers of it too. Like there's the, my public vulnerable self or, you know, things that we share publicly. And there's more of the more, the more you get to know a person, the more you're going to find out if the person lets you know them, it's going to feel you're going to get to another layer. It's not like you have this one, oh, okay, I risk it and we got it. You move on to, and you move on and you to move on. And when you're, when you're not, your human nature is fighting against that, it's really hard to stay in it unless you have people around you helping you stay in it. I don't think, I don't think anybody can stay in that place by themselves. I certainly have needed Teresa. I've certainly needed you and and some other folks along the way to encourage me to stay in that because I just start retreating from it. I just, or I've shared, I'm like, oh, and if you remember, I don't know if you remember, before we we started this two years ago, I said, I just want to be honest with you. If we do this and are honest, you're going to get to know me. And that's a little scary for me because you're going to know more than the stage Rick. And the stage Rick, people say is vulnerable. But that's a very controlled environment. But get to actually get to know a person, to choose to actually let yourself be known is a risky thing. When, well, especially in the areas of where we could be really hurt if someone misused that information. Yes. Or or, or took advantage. Or, or how about this reason? Tell me if this is not true. Either took advantage of it, shared it, and they shouldn't have, or just perceiving you something, and so they pull away from you because, like, ooh, that person that that's kind of not that's messy right well the only reason a person would do i'll speak for myself the only reason i will do that is because i become convinced that this ultimately is where life is found talk more about that because that sounds so right well it it's in my when i have my head on straight and i and i know who god is and i know who i am then i know that this is where it butts up against, I think, uh, American Christianity's thinking that if I have Jesus in my life and I really know him and trust him and walk with him, I'm going I'm not going to have problems. I'm not going to have struggles. If You're I have not enough gonna faith, be desperate. I'm not going to be desperate ever desperate. Right. Because if I have enough faith, it, that's really bad theology. When you look at the life of Christ. How we grow up and are transformed in his image is the invitation to suffering, the invitation to the mess, and the invitation to surrender. None of those things sound like fun. None of those things sound like strength to me. Okay, and you're reframing and saying that the surrender to Jesus is actually the act of strength. Am I getting that right? 
Well, it's actually a surrender to recognizing I need his strength to be strong. Mm. And I can't travel into those places in me that are, that bear shame or that bear where if someone misused that or uh, took advantage of that, if I don't ultimately believe that God will meet me in that place, if that happens, there's no way I'm giving that to right. somebody, right? But if I believe, even if that would be devastating, you know, think about in our marriage, for example, mm-hmm. why would I give those most sacred parts of myself to you, knowing your flesh and sometimes you hurt you hurt me as deeply as any person can? Because probably more so, yeah. Well, because you're the most intimate person in my life, mm-hmm. right? But I believe and know that I want a great marriage and that you and I can't pull that off in our flesh. So I trust that if I bear that and you fail me, which you do sometimes, and I fail you miserably sometimes, that God will meet us in that place. And then we can go because of him. And I'm not trying to over spiritualize that. But my confidence is really that God's going to meet me in whatever that hard thing is. And he's going to use it for good. Mm-hmm. And that's not a trivial I, re- I re- say that with a little bit of caution because it sounds like a spiritual and just trust Jesus. In a, it's hard stuff to it's be in that place. To use Stephen's term, it's that's de- and, and I love and that go- word. It's going to continue for our whole lives. A whole life. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's necessary to reach that desperate place. Why is it necessary to reach the desperate place? Because if I'm not desperate, I think I can do it on my own. And I can't. And it's not till I hit that wall and can say, I don't know. I don't know what to do. That's when I really need God. But who likes to be there? No. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why, you really yeah. do have to grab hold of that upside down thing of the gospel mm-hmm. to say, actually, that's a good place to be. Right. Because nobody feels great about being in that place unless you really believe and have experienced that transforming thing that happens when you're willing to say, I don't know, I need help. Because then it allows friends like you to enter in. I've worked with addicts for 35 years. And one of the blessings of being an addict is that on a day-to-day basis, one day at a time, you have to come to this point where you say, I need God. I can't, I can't get through this day, sometimes through this hour or minute without God. That's living desperately. And that's a blessing. Okay, so let me double-click on that one. So if I go down that path, which I want to, but I want to really make sure listeners are hearing what you're saying. If I have the addiction and God doesn't take away the desire or I have the loss and the grief and God doesn't just heal the grief. Mm -hmm. If I have the struggle that my spouse hurt me and God doesn't just make my spouse better for me, that that's not God abandoning me. And that's not something I should try to necessarily even fix in terms of making it go away. It's the place where I continually become desperate for Jesus. Am I getting, because I want to make sure people understand that because that is a total reframe off of American Christian disciple making away from, well, I want to see Jesus took away the desire and maybe he will for the day, but you know, that's the, or the, well, I was really sad, but praise the Lord. I'm out of it. Or, you know, we were going through this in our marriage, but we did these six principles that we learned at a retreat and then that fixed everything. That's actually not, the direction we're talking about our uh, 10 year old granddaughter um my daughter texted us yesterday and said she asked my daughter her mom 
if God is supposed to take care of everything, what about all those people in Ukraine? And what's happening to them? And the, the answer is God doesn't promise he's going to take care of everything. God promises that he will be there for us when we're desperate. That's a riskier theology. Man, that's a really strong point there. I, that's I, like I'm just kind well, of sitting on that. Well, it reframes how we parent, right? What do we say exactly. to our kid who asked that question? Right. Right. We want to give them a I, I, my personality. I always say, you have to understand my personality wants the world to be black and white. My my personality wants there to be a bow on the top of every package when we're done with the conversation. I would love to give my grandchild an answer that felt great and didn't allow them to still be a little bit afraid that maybe the world isn't as safe as I want. I want it to be for them. But an honest answer is to your child who is asking the question, what about if God is, then what about the people in Ukraine is sometimes I don't know, honey. I just know that God is good. And I know that there's sin in the world. And I don't know sometimes how to make sense of that. But I believe both things are true. So one of the things, Stephen, that you and I've talked about a few times is just these four yeah, I think you have them on the wall of your office. I do, yes. These four statements. And in those kind of, I think, encapsulates what we're talking about in terms of this strength conversation and even this dialogue with like your granddaughter. Right. Because like you said, a good answer is, I don't know. Um, and these four statements come from Louise Penny, who is my favorite novelist. And she writes about uh, an Inspector Gamache, which is a detective up in Canada. And it's it's not really about, it's about mysteries, but it's about how he does life and it's about relationships. And he lives by these four statements that he says are the statements to wisdom, which is, I don't know, I need help, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. And that's not what, I didn't grow up seeing leaders do that. I didn't grow up hearing my father say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I, I thought he had all the answers, or I was supposed to think he did, right? Mm -hmm. It is so countercultural in so many ways. And I've heard you say even unless a person is saying those kinds of things, you have to wonder if you can really trust their movement towards you. Well, if, if I see a Christian leader, and of course we've all seen when Christian leaders go bad, um, and a lot of that with Mars Hill and everything, but if I see a Christian leader who's not saying those statements or things like that, then I think you should run hmm. because a Christian leader has to be saying things like, I don't have the answer to that. And I desperately need help. That's what I want to hear. And that's what I see as strength and power. Because that's accessing Jesus. Yes. Well, let's do that. We talked about leadership, but let's take a moment, Lauren, since we have the opportunity, we have an eight Enneagram woman and an eight Enneagram man. And I think it would be great. Showdown. No, yes, we're going to show oh, not a showdown? That's not what we're doing? Actually, it would be very entertaining. I have, I'm I, here for it. I have watched it on several occasions. I was going to say, we've had a few of those. <laughs> had a few. And uh, it always, Stephen goes to Teresa Ann. <laughs> I always know. Teresa <laughs> So, and she goes, Stephen Dale. <laughs> so, then you, you know it's own at that point. All right. Yeah. Not asking you for that. Although, it would be fun. It would be fun. Uh, I want to... Talk more. We introduced a little bit, Teresa, masculinity, femininity. We talk, Stephen, you do introduce the Enneagram. We've got some stereotypes, Lauren, around 
power and strength. And they've worked their way into Christian leadership mentality, but they're, they're all over our culture, right? It's all over. And it's part of my journey and I'm responsible for my own journey. So I'm not blaming the culture. I'm not blaming people's expectations. I'm responsible for my own journey, but there is no doubt that I have been affected by the feeling that, you know, the John Wayne cowboy power up Marine, another on being a Marine, another on being a cowboy. You're a cowboy, Stephen, but People don't know. Cowboy You're, Steven. He's a cowboy, yeah. That is important. For, we should have said that at the top of the podcast. That's very important information. <laughs> but yeah. talk about just strength and, and how men and women possess it. And it's not about being something on the Enneagram. And if our listeners are, are trying to access strength through these other things or feel the expectation or feel that they're weak because they don't look like that, that this reframe is, is this. there's life and freedom in this. Well, for my own personal journey as Enneagram's been great language to talk about, oh, that's why I'm, I'm like this. But I'm, I'm an extrovert. I, it doesn't occur to me not to share my opinion about things. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't occur, initially, it doesn't occur to you that that opinion's not right. <laughs> yeah, and that might be true, too. I love the way you said that. It doesn't occur to me not to. I love yes. that. And so, but especially in Christian land, often, I mean, I've had, one of the things with, when Rick and I were dating and he was like, Mr. We were, both went to Christian college. And so there were the girls that kind of fit the model of what I thought were the really spiritual Christian girls. And I make myself sound horrible, but like I wasn't that model. Like I just I wasn't quiet. I wasn't demure. I didn't play the piano. I think that makes you sound great. Well, I, I agree. And I love that about you, Stephen, that you think that. But. The point I remember saying to Rick, you don't want to marry me. You're going into ministry. Like you're not the typical pastor's wife. I don't fit that mold. Yeah. And I'm never going to be that. Like I had seriously even at one point is I remember praying like, Lord, you're going to have to like completely change who I am if I'm going to be a really godly woman. And at some point it reckoned with me. God had created me like I was for a purpose and to embrace who I am. But in the. But women who have strong personalities, and I'm not talking, look, the Lord has, it has and is continuing to chip off my rough edges, and I have plenty of them. So it's not that there isn't transformation needed. There's a ton of that. But I will never be that quiet, whatever image I have in my brain, woman. And oftentimes that can be seen as a negative for women the very thing that in culture we call a strength in a man that you'll speak up that you charge in that you hold a line that you challenge someone in a male in our culture is seen as strength and as a woman What's a nice word to say? I was going to say the only word I can think of I can't say on the podcast. Yeah, starts so. with a B, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes, sounds like witch. That sounds like an edge. <laughs> yeah, but, no, that is that is it's very so, true, so true, Teresa. Like there, I remember when we were having some work done on our house, and I was dealing with the contractor a lot. And um, if I like when I would say some things and and be like strong about like this is the way it's supposed to be done, or this is the you know what we had agreed to, or whatever, then I would be called a name whereas if Tommy had done it it would have been like oh yeah I respect him that's good that's fine that's true and that's a maddening place to be mm -hmm. as a woman who 
speaks her mind. It, it, it pays off for me in some settings, but I'm very aware of that. And I think God has made me a woman who defends the weak. And, and when I say weak, I mean the defenseless and who stands up and says, this isn't okay. And that's actually a gifting of mine, but it's something that I've had to wrestle with through the years because of culture that says a godly woman doesn't do those things you know, a gentle and quiet spirit, I wouldn't think those would be the first words that would come to people's mind about me. (laughs) Well, I love that. I love that you share that. And I love that we have you because I'm raising one of those girls. Like I'll have my moments myself where I'll go into... Uh, eight I'm, land. Yes, you can. So, do, you can go eight. When I'm you need a two, to. so I go to eight and stress. Right. And yeah. So it's not usually the healthy side of eight that you get. You get exactly. To. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not. And uh, so I have had moments, many moments, and um, but I'm raising a daughter who is very much has the personality you're describing, and it is, and even her at, at her age, she notices. Right. And so it is different. And I'm thankful that you share about that because that is helpful as I raise my daughter who has a very strong personality. And that's the way that God made her. And nothing's going to change that. And I hope it doesn't because I love the way that he made her. Well, Well, I think um, I think your superpower, Teresa, as an eight, I think that's probably one way to talk about it. But as a therapist, when people come into your office, your strength is that you have the ability to communicate that you're helping them create the space where they can bring anything they have and you don't care you, you anything they have and if they'll join into the process with you you can help them correct and um it's it's not something you learn it's something you were born with and it's your gift and i this uh i i, I don't know if you can say this on a if you say this on a Christian podcast, but I'm a, I'm kind of a feminist and I have always appreciated your strength and your ability to step up and counted on that. And I think you and I have over the years been there for each other when one of us needs to be pulled back. And so you've pulled me back many times and I've had the chance to do that with you too. And you've called me to tenderness and I've watched you model that in some really powerful ways that uh, you're a incredible nurturer of people. And because you're kind of, you're a big guy, you wear cowboy boots. He's a cowboy. He drives a big truck. Like he, he, he looks like the Marlboro kind of guy. Right. But then who, who happens to cry really easily, who happens to cry really easily <laughs> And can be so tender. And I lo- that's one of the things I think that has drawn me to you, both in the therapy, supervision, all those things. Because a man who's just the Marlboro man, is, for lack of a better word, like, I'm like, seriously, like, I, everything in me walls off, shuts down, like, pfft, I can do that. I can do the power game with you, right? But a man who's both strong and tender, oh my gosh, like, that is... Glorious, and we tend to uh, associate tenderness with feminine, and we tend to uh, associate that speak into, uh, call it out with the masculine. And the truth is, 
we both have both those that's qualities. right and i think those qualities are in all of us uh, talk about uh, that a second Stephen, because i want to i want to talk about me trying to access because i tend to lead with nurture i tend to lead with tender and it's harder it's been harder for me over the years to figure out how to access the other piece so you can imagine lauren when you're best friend forever wife and your best friend male are eights there were moments when i'm thinking gosh i wish that was an eight sure and there are I a lot mean, of moments i love eights eights are just know, great but there's a lot of moments not everybody loves eights that's not universal what is it i love eights and i understand that that's not anyway we'll just but let me just say one of the things that i always say about rick as i go rick does lead with the tenderness he's he because he's the nine right. he tends to be more collaborative right more, he hears people gets them hears gets mm-hmm. sees all the different he's like angles a rise up into conflict right away like right but i always say people that underestimate the strength of that man are way in trouble because when he doesn't lock and load on many things because rick doesn't have all strong preferences about a lot he can right. just go with what right but when that man locks and loads he's like a rock like you're not it's there is an incredible strength and it's deep, deeply rooted in integrity mm-hmm. and character. And that is what drew me that tenderness. Obviously, I'm drawn to men who have tenderness and strength, because if it's just strength, you're a jerk. Can I can I give a horse metaphor? <laughs> I knew you would. I, I knew at some point the horse would be mentioned. At some point. Stephen's a horse whisperer. That's another story, but you you are a horse whisperer. I, I am a horseman. And um, when I was in high school, I worked for this quarter horse trainer, and he showed me how everybody did it back then, or almost everybody did. To get the horse to do what you want it to, you would actually tie one of their legs up and spin them around, drop them to the ground, and you overpower them. That's not the way to make a partner, you know? Mm-hmm. And even at the time when I was doing it, I thought, boy, this, this feels abusive. It's not right. Yes, I'm the leader, but I'm not getting a partner out of this. I'm getting somebody who's afraid of me. You're and breaking them. Breaking. And I don't break horses. I train horses. And the way that I learned to do it as an adult is to give the horse choices. So I'm the leader. I have a vision of where I think we can go. But I'm never going to make the horse do something. I'm going to give him choices. One choice is more comfortable than the other choice. But it's the horse's choice. And when the horse chooses to do something with me, then we're in partnership. And they make wonderful partners. But I think that's how you lead, Rick. You know, it's And you try to create the container where people will follow that vision that you have. And you do it very effectively. Well, I, I, I thank you for that. I- I wanted our I wanted our listeners, Lauren, in this conversation to find themselves somewhere, because an eight woman that that bold, direct person, and you're such a compelling person, Teresa. Just so, and I I remember when she told me, "You don't really want to marry me. This is like going to be messy." And I'm like, "Yes, I do. I want the adventure. Like, let's go. Let's." It, and you got it. I did. <laughs> I got all it. of it. I still do. I still. Love that. I, there are days when I didn't know what to do, but I've always loved, and, and that's drawn me to you. But if 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 a woman or man's listening who's not that, there's strength, and that's what I think the power of this is. That you know, Stephen, it's easy for you. It'd be easy for you to play the masculine John Wayne that card 
and just go there. But you know the shadow side of going there without the tenderness and without the heart. And the same thing if you're a male like me who I don't walk in the room and take over. It just isn't my thing. I don't really care. It doesn't even interest me. And I won't come at you with a hard line. I'll come, I will draw a line. If you cross, that's an issue. And I'm not soft in that sometimes because if I know that you're actively trying to uh, submerge or, or divert me, I'm, that's not going to go well. But I wanted our listeners, Lauren, to understand that in all the things we're describing here, we all have incredible strength Yes, when it's accessed in Jesus. And we all have this shadow side that can really look like strength, or we might imagine we're being strong, and people might even applaud us for being strong, and evidently they have with megachurch pastors all over the country, and shipwrecked so many lives by not understanding this very simple truth about this strength is found in needing Jesus desperately in your heart, and then your real strength is really unleashed, whether it's two, seven, eight, now, whatever your Enneagram is, right? Does that make sense? Yes. I think that's the thing that I want out of this. I think that's so good. So as we kind of wrap up this conversation, where do we, what are final thoughts or what do you want to leave people with? I'd love to hear something from each of you. Tracy-Ann? It's on. Showdown time. <laughs> it's She's calling, he's calling her out. <laughs> I, I think, for, I think for me, kind of what we opened with, which is, Challenge yourself to rethink strength. The culture's definitions are killing us and they're killing, they're isolating us from authentic and real relationships, whether you're male or female, that those definitions of what it means to be a strong woman or what it means to be a strong male, I think you have to reframe and look that through the eyes of Jesus and what he defines as strength, which is kind of goes back to those four statements that you talked about, Stephen, yep. of being willing to acknowledge it. And, and that's where I, I can often, I, I just oftentimes get associated with strength that actually isn't my strength. My strength, my greatest strength is when I enter into my vulnerability and ask for help or acknowledge those parts of me that I'm really afraid for others to know because they're not the parts that feel competent or capable in me. But when I can enter into those places, that's when God can, whether that's with the Father or with my friends, that is the place when I grow and strengthen. And that's when real strength emerges. When, when couples come to see me for therapy, two of the main things that I teach them are how to say, the story that I make up is, or my story is, which is, that's my interpretation, followed by, but I could be wrong. And I think that is along the lines of those four senses. Well, that's what we're talking about is strength. And I, Rick was telling us a dream that he'd had this, this morning, and I said, so my story about that, and I could be wrong, and if you say that and you don't mean it, it does nothing for you. It's, <laughs> You got to mean it. I don't know. It's just my opinion. And, and I think that's real power to be able to own that and to invite people. And to trust that the invitation will lead us to the conversation we need to have. And Jesus will oversee that. And we don't have to hammer it towards people. Um, you know, something, Rick, yes. though, that mm -hmm. it, 
I think it's, I'm having an aha. Maybe it's it. maybe it's worth a penny. Maybe it's worth nothing. But it, just the idea of uh, the truth is, I prefer for the strength to originate in me, and God will not ever really allow that. Strength ultimately has to come from Him, and anything that doesn't ultimately come from Him probably isn't really strength. It's something we're manufacturing and puffing up, and we got to keep puffing up, and that becomes pressure instead of us thriving in real life to the full. And exhausting, too. You know, I, exhausting. I'm an old man now. I'm getting there. And I was just thinking, I feel so much less strong than I used to be. Hmm. And I feel like I know so much less. And I think that's probably a good thing, right? Because you're finding a different strength. Yeah. And a different, yep. a different confidence in what is true. So mine... Um, Actually, I don't think I have anything to add to what I said a while ago than just a couple of things. I think about the morning that I've had and uh, Stephen's wonderful wife, Carol, who's just not, so We amazing. really need Carol in yeah, here, you're too. Yeah, well, you're going to get to meet her and get to know her a little bit later today, and I'm so excited about that. I just think about her morning. You know, I came in with, uh, hey, I got this idea we could do. Imagine that, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. I can't even think of the words. <laughs> and you're the idea man, Rick. Uh, for better or worse. And um, then we laughed, and then I sobbed over something I did not see coming. And then we come in here and we do this, and we speak into each other's lives, and on. I'm, I'm like, I w- this is what I want people's lives to be like. Mm-hmm. This is what I want their spiritual journeys to be like, laughing and ideas and confronting and being direct and saying, well, that's how I think about it. Or uh, Teresa and I did our typical thing we do. And I'm, why, why did you do say that? You know, so we just played out our, because we can play that out in front of Stephen and Carol and they're like, they understand that. So it's just life. And Jesus shows up in that. And that I'm learning, 61, learning, therein lies the strength. This is where we are. This is who we are. This is the moment we're in. And Jesus is the strength. And out of that comes all the healthy places. Comes our almost 40 years of marriage where we're, we're growing more intimate, but not without really hard seasons where we've learned the need for Jesus, Teresa. So that's been our journey. And again, I, I remember a conversation in a restaurant three decades ago because other than Teresa, Stephen, you were the first person who really saw what was in there that scared me terribly and said, no, that's good. And I, w- I would long, Lauren, for our listeners to know that in relationships. I would long for them to give that to each other in relationships. And it's the thing we talk about all the time when we bring guests on. If they'll just sit in the chair and be open and vulnerable and let Jesus do the work, it always takes us to exactly where we need to go. So I would love for people to trust those conversations like you and I have learned to do. Very good. Great, great conversation. I have just loved listening and absorbing it all in from you guys. And I think this is such a a gift that people will be able to listen to what it's like to hear you all talk about these things. And um, thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for being here. Thank you, Teresa, for being here. Stephen traveled the furthest to be here. Yes, he did. did. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And like I told you before we started, Lauren, 
My wife and I are your are fans, <laughs> and we are going to continue to be. You're so You're nice. awesome. Thank you. So sweet. Um, okay. Well, that is it. We're gonna we will put um, Stephen's contact information in the show notes. Cause I'm sure people will want to, um, you know, look at what you do. And I know you have your practice. Also, we didn't say this before, but um, you mentioned your daughter. Your daughter has been on our podcast twice before. Yes. So Lauren Shaw episodes. Um, so you guys are connected. Just make that connection because you're both brilliant and hopefully we'll get to have you back and Lauren again sometime. We'll make sure we do. Okay. Thanks everybody for being here. We'll put Teresa's information in the show notes too, because people always want to find you, Teresa. Thank you. All right. Everyone have a good one. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Reframe podcast. I hope that you are enjoying it and being Uh, encouraged and strengthened by it just the way Lauren and I are every time we have these conversations we are so thankful for those who make this possible Um, you don't see them they're just names to us they are very very important teammates Sam Scott who's our producer and editor Laura Benner who God bless her keeps Lauren and I somewhat organized as much as it's possible and then also Alex Diefenderfer who oversees our comms department who has a vision for helping us build uh, this community with you. And we are so thankful for you. You could always give us the gift of a five-star rating and any kind of comment or send us an email or a text and just let us know how you're being shaped by these conversations or just ways in which we can be an encouragement to you. So thank you so much, Life Reframe community. We love you guys.